The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. We always enter into worship with a name placed upon us. It's the name given to us in our baptism. We have that privilege this morning to baptize three individuals uh, and the promises of God, His activity, the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that promise is firm and sure. The scripture says it's yes and amen. And here's one that I'd like for us to really focus our time together. And we're going to do a little something different with the structure of the service. We have like three different times of teaching or so. Uh, we'll have times of confession and absolution and time of prayer, uh, singing. That will be all part of the service. But we'll do it a little in a different way uh, this morning. But the thematic idea is this, and let's uh, say it together from Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That uh, same Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. And um, we're going to be looking this morning specifically um, at the Psalms, with the book of Hebrews being a reference point for us. And so we're going to spend some time up front just uh, looking at what the promises are in the book of Hebrews and how beautiful they are, especially right after Christmas. Christmas is the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. The Godhead takes on human flesh and dwells among us. And so the book of Hebrews declares him to be our brother. But he comes in the form of humanity, takes humanity upon himself for a purpose. And what is that purpose? It's so that he can take then sin upon himself, lives a perfect life, knows no sin, takes sin upon himself, dies for it, rises again, so he's our Savior. And Hebrews also says that he is now the one who rules and reigns and he intercedes for us as a great high priest. So we have wonderful news as we end this year and enter into a new one, which is Jesus is our brother. And you, by him being our brother, he can say to us, I understand. Does he know what it's like to be hungry, by the way? Yeah? I mean, or was that just a big show, you know, coming into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days, and he walks out and says, let's put on a show. Oh, I'm so... No, in his flesh, he is hungry. Does he know what it's like to stand at the graveside and mourn? Yes. He weeps with Mar- Mary Martha. Does he know what it's like to be betrayed and slandered and abandoned? Yes, does he know what it's like to suffer? And the ultimate human thing, does he know what it's like to die? Yes, he's our brother. But he dies with the sins of the world upon himself, redeems it, becomes our savior. So now he can say, not only do I understand in your humanity, but all and now all things are under my foot as Lord and Savior. He crushes the head of the serpent. All things are under his rule and reign. And now, because of that, all things are under his control, and he intercedes perfectly according to the Father's will as high priest. So, turn to the book of Hebrews, beginning at Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll see these images of Christ uh, for us. Beginning with Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. It says in verse 10, Uh, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, 
should make the author of their salvation, which is Christ, perfect through suffering. Now note verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy, who is that? Who's the one who makes men holy? Us or Jesus? Jesus. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy, who's that? That's us. All right, so do we make ourselves holy? Absolutely not. The one who makes men holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, they're of the same family. And then these amazing words, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, and you know what he quotes? He quotes here Psalm 22, saying, Jesus is saying these words in Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. A couple verses down to verse 14. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, to share them our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And so he's the Savior. Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason he had to be made like his brothers, that's us, in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. For what purpose? To make atonement for the sins of people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Turn a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 7. It speaks of Jesus being this great high priest, different than all the priests that came before him. And we're going to find this morning that everything in the Old Testament is really just one giant shadow, a foreshadowing of the real, the real picture, which is the real high priest is Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, what type of priesthood does he have now? Permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 26, such a high priest then meets our need. One who is, and this is none of the things that we are, One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed their sins sins once for all when he offered himself. It's good news to end a year, and it's wonderful news to enter a year. Jesus, our brother, he walks with us. Jesus, our savior. And Jesus, the high priest who intercedes. And so let's say it again. Jesus Christ is the what? Same yesterday, today, and forever. It's also fitting as we exit this year is to have some moments of um, confession, to think about this year in earnest. To say, have I loved God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, if I love my neighbor as myself, um, and to bring our lives into a, a state of repentance so that we do understand why Jesus actually had to come into this world and to confess that sin and to then hear the good news that it's been taken 
away from us as far as the east is from the west. One of these verses you come across in uh, the scriptures and uh, takes you back, uh, back a bit, uh, but it then opens up um, a number of different ways to look at uh, what, you've been, what you've been studying. And one of those verses is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, which says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So, you know, the thought is, is that what are these prayers and petitions that Jesus is offering up? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that the scriptures give us the answer to that. In fact, very clearly, the words that Jesus speaks from the cross are prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And you know where they come from? Two of them, for sure. From the Psalms. Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 31, Into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus prays the Psalms. He prays them along with his brothers and sisters. They see the Psalms as not necessarily a book to study, but a book to pray and to sing and to shout and to raise the fist. And so he prays the Psalms as our brother and as our Savior and as a great high priest. Now there's three different ways that you can really look at uh, each Psalm. Um, And uh, it helps to understand who then is the voice behind it. So if you read a Psalm, my suggestion is first, first you read it just as it is and then ask the question, so what I just read, whose voice is that? Is this the voice of the church? praying to or about the triune God, singing the praises of God, calling out to Him, asking Him for help and deliverance and guidance, thanking Him. Is that the voice of the psalm? That could be one option. Or maybe it is Jesus Himself. Or as the Scriptures would say, the Spirit of Christ in that psalm, praying to the Father about us, on our behalf, for us. So you just stand back sometimes and you read the psalm and you say, this is the voice of Jesus praying for us. Or maybe it's both. Maybe it's Jesus praying with and through uh, his uh, church. And that's the voice then of the psalm. So Jesus praying or Jesus praying with his church or the church The church praying. So that's one way to look at the Psalms. Another way is to look at it from uh, this perspective, that the Psalms are like um, a place of orientation, let's call it that, a place of orientation, and then disorientation, and a reorientation. Or in other words, a place of orientation is a really good place. You know, life is good, and God is good, and what's the phrase that you can say, you know, in that? Well, praise the... Praise the Lord. And you'll find plenty of psalms about that. The people of God praising their God for all of his great gifts and benefits. The eyes of all look to you. And you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. That's Psalm 145. Then there's the psalms that are prayed, played, uh, prayed in the pit. 
place of disorientation. This is a place of all the questions, like, how long, O oh God, and why, O oh God, and what are you doing? And we get ourselves into that pit in a number of different ways. One is you're, you're going along in life, and maybe you've known this this year. It began, it was really good. And you had this orientation of life is good, and God is good, and all of a sudden, what happened? You didn't even see it. It happened just that quickly. Maybe the doctor called with the test results. Maybe there was an accident, a tragic accident. Maybe you were blindsided by something that happened at work. Uh, you weren't even looking for it. And, and, and it is as if there was this uh, you know, pit that was covered and just one step and, and down. And now you're in the pit. Maybe someone pushed you into the pit. And it's the result of living in a sinful world with sinful desires and neighbor against neighbor, and as a result of that, you are pushed into it. Or maybe you did it to yourself. You saw all the warning signs posted right there saying, danger, do not cross. You know, and you just said, I'm just going to disregard that. And you walked right into it. And in your sin, you consciously made decisions to against, go against God's word and his way, and now you're in the bottom of the pit. Disorientation. Why? How long? What are you doing, O oh God? Then there's this other place, which is, thank God, life just isn't in the pit, and that's the end of it. But there can be a place where God brings you out of it, and you can tell this story of a God who does wonderful things in ways that you could have never have imagined. That he redeems and he forgives and he reconciles and he heals. Maybe you can even say that in death, death didn't have the victory, but now the one that I love is in the presence of Christ with a totally different view, free from this sinful world and all of its uh, tears. Well, what would be an example of this? Well, Christ is in all of these, isn't he? An example of this, maybe is a psalm that we have heard the most often, Psalm 23. I'll say it, because I, I guess the only way I know it is in the King James Version, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where is that? Life is good, isn't it? Life is good. God is good. And we say, praise the Lord. What's the next set of phrases? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, in the pit. But the good news is I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, the good shepherd, the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, is with us. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then what? Thou preparest the table before me. You anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And where will I dwell? I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. Question, questions, questions. See what the, what the Lord has done. 
a New Testament equivalent, and this is really then the way that we read the entire scriptures, is through Christ crucified, dead, and risen for the forgiveness of sins. And it is in this idea of Christ himself in his humiliation, which is a descending, and an exaltation, which is a ascending. It goes like this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but did what? Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humiliation. That the Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, is given birth by the Virgin Mary, as the Creed says, suffers under Pontius Pilate, is crucified, dead, and buried. Does it get any lower than that? Is that the end of the story, though? No. Descended into hell. Rises on the third day. Ascends into heaven. Sits on the right hand of God the Father. And from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So let's look at each of these. First is this idea of the praise the Lord. You know, sections of the Psalms. That, that part of life where life is good and God is good, and you could categorize them in different ways in the psalms, but they're these hymns of praise. They're wisdom psalms. They're, they're psalms of, of confidence. Let's give you a couple. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, it begins with, Blessed is this man. Who is this man? Is it you? Is it me? Does not walk in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Who is this man? This man is Jesus the Christ. Psalms begin with a description of the perfect man. Perfect man is not me, it's not you. Not Adam, it's the second Adam. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Who is the vine and who is the branches? Who is the one that bears the fruit? Jesus. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his people. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. He is the Lord, our maker. You know, it gives, gives you words to speak when life is really good and you realize that all you have is a gift from God and it's not dependent on on what you have done or what you have deserved. It comes purely by grace. And so how do you give voice to that? Well, Psalm 100. Psalm 103. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Do you know what the first benefit is? I'll give you a moment. It's best if you find it yourself. So take your Bible and turn to Psalm 103. I say this because if you know what the first benefit is, then you know why all the other benefits come. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. First one is what? Who forgives all your forgives all your sins. And what comes after that? Heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and salvation, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the... What do you have when you have the forgiveness of sins? They say in Africa, you have everything. People who have nothing in Africa tell me, when you have the forgiveness of sins, you have, have everything. Well, as you know, maybe this last year has shown you the brutal reality of the edge. And maybe you didn't see it coming. Maybe it was camouflaged. Maybe someone pushed you into it. Or maybe you did it to yourself. But you're in that place, or you know what that place is like, of disorientation with all the questions. In the Psalms, you could call these laments. That's a wonderful word, I think. It's it's better than the word sadness, because it's much deeper. It's, it's this place where you cannot even express where the grief comes from. And those of you who know what that's like, you know, can say it, it sneaks up in, you in such a way that you didn't think that you could grieve that deeply. Psalms give you words for that. Individual laments. Communal laments. The community coming together. Why is this happening to us? There's the penitential psalms. Psalms that you... You sing and you moan and you sigh because of your sins. There's the complaint and curse in God's judgment psalms and saying, why is it that the righteous, when they try and do the right thing, everything goes wrong for them, and the unrighteous, they walk around, there's health in their bodies, no problems. Justice, injustice. There's vindication psalms. There's words like this in the Psalms. Break the arm of the wicked, O God. It's in there. Break the arm of the wicked, O God. In other words, God, you know what's going on. You're not calling me to break the arm, but I'm telling you, break the arm of the wicked, O God. Call him to account for his wickedness. Let's take some examples. Psalm 13. Kind of tell you're in this territory when the psalm you see at the end of each of the sentences all these questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Let me ask you who's praying this psalm? out of the three circles that we talked about. I think it's the middle one. That Jesus and us, together we are praying the psalm out of our humanity. 
Another one is Psalm 88. You can tell the content of this one. I'll just give you the last line, and it'll give everything away. And it says, the darkness is my closest friend. That's how Psalm 88 goes. The darkness is my closest friend. Who's praying that with you? Jesus. It's unbearable if you pray it yourself. But if your brother stands next to you, Jesus, and he says, I know what this darkness is. In fact, I've gone beyond your darkness. Psalm 51. If you look at it, there's an inscription underneath it. It gives the context. It says, when Nathan the prophet comes to David, after he had committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. This is one of those penitential psalms. In other words, David saw all the boundaries, knew he should not cross, and did it anyway, and where does he end up? God's heavy hand is upon him. And he keeps going, and he keeps going. There was a multitude of times where he could have turned back at any moment in this process, but he kept going and going and going and going. And finally Nathan comes to him and says, you are the man. And the Spirit of God works repentance And David confesses, and we know that he confesses because these are the words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great great compassion, blot out my transgressions, my iniquities. And then these wonderful words, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's in the pit, isn't he? Of his own sin? Maybe you are thinking, is that a psalm that I can pray for my own life? And then this one, Psalm 22. This is one of those where you step back And you hear the voice of Christ and you say, he is praying it on my behalf. How does it begin? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, good Jewish boys and good Jewish girls, what do they know? They know the Psalms. They know the Psalms by heart. And it's like the first line of a song that everybody knows. If you sing the first line of the psalm, or a song that you know, what does everyone think? Just kind of, the whole song follows. So when Jesus prays this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone around should have recognized that he is the one, the Messiah. Dogs have surrounded me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment, Jesus is in the midst of the pit of humanity, absorbing all of the sin of this world, taking it upon himself. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Sometimes the way it goes with a pit is you think, okay, if I can only find the bottom, then I'll be all right. Things could possibly get worse. And you find the bottom, you think, and then what happens? The bottom drops out, and it drops out again, and you, you don't know if you can take any more. Well, this Psalm 22 is one of those you know, markers where all of a sudden God sets the bottom, and Jesus himself 
goes deep. So when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then says that so that what? His brothers and sisters never have to say that. Why do we know that? Because in Matthew chapter 28, you heard it in our baptismal rite. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And it says what? Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus prays this psalm. We listen to him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that now we never have to pray it? Because in Christ, our brother, our Savior, our high priest, he'll never forsake us. I think it's appropriate in this year, though, to take some quiet moments and to acknowledge the pain of the pit. Sometimes we come to church, right? And you think, well, first of all, well, maybe I shouldn't share the pain of the pit. Because everyone's coming here, and they're, you know, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, and they're singing how good God is, and, and maybe if I don't feel that way, then maybe, you know, my faith isn't strong. And there doesn't seem then to be a safe place to actually, actually acknowledge that, you know, you have either stepped into it, or you've been pushed into it, or you didn't know how it happened, but now you're in a place where there is weak faith, a place of despair, a place of hopelessness, a place of questions, a place of wondering, is this God that everyone else is praising, does he really exist, or does he just exist for them and not for me? Could this sin that I've committed gone so far beyond his reach? So I think it's appropriate just to take some quiet moments. Think about that. Maybe you've come out of it. Maybe you have entered it. But just to acknowledge it. To give voice to it. And to have the promise that Christ is in the midst of it. Really the storyline of the scripture is uh, maybe as simple as this. Is that the, though the devil schemes, Jesus always wins, right? And that in the midst of the lowest point... In the life of Christ, his suffering and his death and his burial, no one expected what would happen on the third day. Now, was he unclear about this? No. In fact, he told them many times. He said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer. I must die. And on the third day, I will rise again, to which Peter kind of just you know, only heard the first part about it and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus says to the devil, get behind me, Satan. Uh, You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Jesus wins, but he wins in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend or expect. I mean, think of Joseph and his brothers. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. To save many lives. No one expected that. And so what I've done here is I've put this place outside of the pit at a higher level, which is unexpected. It's not like just kind of you come back to status quo, but God does something. He redemptively reorientates everything so that you have no choice but to say, 
Who has done great things? The Lord has done great things. Even standing at the deepest pit that humanity gives to us, which is at the graveside. And maybe some of you have done this this year. And yet there was a peace that gave, was given to you, as Paul says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because you know that though the death of the one that you love and the devil has spoken many words, they never have the last word. It's the Lord Jesus himself. And so the women go to the tomb, and they don't expect to see the tomb empty, do they? They go to anoint a body. Tomb's empty. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And they just don't understand it until Pentecost. And then the message is not just Jesus Christ crucified and dead, but Jesus Christ crucified, dead, and risen for the forgiveness of sins. No one can then take credit for it, can they? And the only response is, the Lord has done great things. So you see some of these in... uh, the individual thanks psalms or the communal thanks psalms or psalms of remembrance about the history of Israel and God's activity in it. One I'd like for you to turn to, uh, which is specifically um, uh, telling, is Psalm 40. Psalm 40. So you're going to turn to Psalm 40. I'm going to read a portion for you from Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll ask the question... What is the voice of this psalm? And what is the gift that it gives to us? Okay? So if you're in Psalm chapter 40, maybe scan down a couple of the lines, and I'll read some of them for you. Ask the question to yourself. So who is this psalm? What's the voice of this psalm? Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry, and he lifted me out of the... What does your version say? Slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe this is the church praying to God. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. So what do you think? Who's the speaker of this psalm? Okay, keep it to yourself. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little insight, and it's not my insight. The rule of thumb is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So if the Holy Spirit is the author of the entire book, he interprets for us what this means. So, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... I'm going to read these verses from Hebrews 10. You look at them in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Verse 5 again. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Christ said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire... But a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Whose psalm is this one? This is Jesus. 
I have come to do your will. Not sacrifice and offerings, but my ears have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require, but here I am. I have come to do your will. And it's written about me in the scroll. In other words, all of Scripture testifies to this. I have come to do your will. What is the will of God? What does Jesus say in the garden? Father, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. What is Jesus? What is what will has Jesus come to do? Well, go to verse 11 and 12 of Psalm 40. Remember, Hebrews tells us that this is Jesus. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. And we gasp and we say, is this saying that Jesus sinned? Is that what it's saying? I thought all of Scripture testified that he was perfect. In fact, he stood before Pilate. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man, right? So now are you saying that Jesus is is a sinner? Well, if we understand this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think it will give us context. Again, Scripture interprets the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says, The one who knew no sin became what? Sin for us. Jesus is the perfect Son of God, Son of Man, without sin active in his obedience, fully loving God, fully loving neighbor, perfectly. He goes to the cross, an innocent man. And when he is at the cross, what is placed on him? All of our sins. All of our sins. So much so that in verse 12 it says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. What are the sins that have overtaken him? My, my sins, which have, I've taken upon myself. Paul, your sins and your sins. So much so that they are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sinless. The sinless one becomes sin for us. I've come to do your will, which is the will of the Father, to take the sins of the world upon himself. And when he does that, the wages of sin is death. And so he dies and he rises again on the third day to say that death has been defeated and sin has been defeated and the devil has been defeated. And he does this in such an unexpected way that no one can really understand it apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. But it says all of the scrolls spoke of that. Now, if you ever have time and you like a little history lesson of Israel's uh, redemption and what they remember and how they sing about it, you can read these psalms, Psalm 78 and 105 and 106 and 107, and they sing of the wonders of God. But the only way you really can understand these things is that these are just not things that have happened to the people of Israel. 
They are one giant foreshadowing of the ultimate redemption, which is in Christ. So Colossians 2, and I shared this with the African pastors, and they understood it perfectly. I said, if you took a torch, they call a flashlight a torch. I said, if you take a torch and you shine a light on the cross of Jesus Christ and his incarnation and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, and you shine a torch and a light on this, what happens if you come on this side? You get a great big shadow. Well, Colossians 2 says, Therefore, don't, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are all a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So when you read these psalms, Psalm 78, 105, 106, 107, talks about the redemption of the people of Israel. Well, you put Joseph in Egypt. You meant it for evil, brothers. God meant it for the ultimate meaning it for evil and working out for good is what? The cross, isn't it? You meant it for evil. It's better that one man die for the people than all the people die. Obviously, the shadow points to the reality. They're in Egypt, captive, held slaves. Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist points to him. Jesus says that he is the sacrifice. What is put on the doorpost? The blood of the Lamb. He is, Paul says, the Passover Lamb. They cross through the Red Sea. What is the ultimate exodus? Jesus, his death and his resurrection. He, they wander in the desert. They are fed with the manna and from water. Who is the rock? that followed them in the, in the wilderness, that came living water? Paul says it's Jesus. Who is the manna, the bread of life? It's Jesus. What is the promised land? Not a place of milk and honey. It is being brought into uh, the place where Christ is uh, no more tears, suffering, or pain. So now you read these psalms, these Israel's history songs, and say, oh, that's nice for them. Now, that was a good story for them. no. It all points to Christ. Let's close. We'll look at Psalm 105, and we'll see, as we end one year, begin a new one, that we can praise the Lord, we can give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. So let's read it together, Psalm 105, beginning at verse 1 through verse 11. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as their everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. And as you read it, you will hear the story. 
And it is a story of what? As we started, we'll end. Story of Jesus Christ, who's the same, you say it, yesterday, today, and forever. Let's close with uh, a time of prayer. Lord God, we praise you for sending your Son in our flesh to fulfill the law on our behalf. We thank you that although we sin much, he is our righteousness and peace. Thank you for the countless blessings you have given this past year for the whole of our lives, our well-being, and that you do not withhold from us your saving word. Teach us to number our days so that the blessings and distractions of this life never turn our hearts from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Eternal God, you have been our dwelling place in every generation, but our years pass quickly. And as this year draws to a close, prepare our hearts for your Son's reappearance. Forgive the sins of this past year, those we know, those unknown to us. Heal any division in our families. Keep us faithful to Christ, our Lord, in the coming year repentant of our sins and confident in his mercy and truth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious Father, calm the hearts of those who look to the future with foreboding or fear rather than with confidence and hope. For all who face illness, pain, and suffering, and those to whom death draws near, give the peace that only you can give. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, bless this land in this new year. Give us honest work, effective education, leaders of good character. Save us from violence and discord, bringing a common purpose and harmony where there is division. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, by your incarnation, you join divinity to humanity and humanity to divinity Keep far from us all doubts about you, knowing that that as the God-man you have won our salvation. Give us faith to trust in your promises. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend ourselves and all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives, reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And now, Lord Jesus, We ask that you would remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.